Thanks for tuning in to Culture Car ATX. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr., here with Donald Scott II. Our goal at Culture Crawl ATX is to change the world one conversation at a time. We hope you enjoy this episode. Sometimes I may be talking from the perspective of a co-founder, but then sometimes I may be talking from the perspective of someone who is in DEI in corporate America, right? And then sometimes those perspectives are different depending on actually who's listening <laughs> and what I say relative to um, my ability to raise funds <laughs> because I have to be sensitive to that, uh, to the nature of my discussion because of the topic, right? And so I'd say, you know, I am, um, this is Donald, of course, co-founder. Um, one day, you know, we should try and raise money for uh, Culture Call ATX, actually, but that can be a um, Co-founder of an of a idea surrounding a youth transportation, primarily focused on busy parents and um, how we can elevate the economy and the community by removing future, uh, removing the transportation barrier and unlocking access to future opportunity, right? Like that's our idea. <clears throat> I know that people get funded for team and dream multiple millions of dollars, right? And the idea doesn't have to be that great. It doesn't have to necessarily impact society. It doesn't have to do anything really except land at the right desk and be presented by the right demographic and they will raise funds. Um, it is frustrating for me as a founder because I left corporate America, kind of, because I was tired of dealing with banging my head against that DEI wall. Um, I get passionate about things, right? I'm emotionally invested uh, <laughs> in, in some topics. And I felt like we all knew the answer, right? But, um, but then there would be the question, well, how do we get more Black people in? And from a corporate America perspective, it's like, how, many, how do we get more Black doctors? How do we get more Black mentors? How do we get more Black whatevers? And it's like, okay, I, I have the answer for you. Hire them because it's not like there's none available. And that is the same conversation now we're having in this VC dollar pool conversation, right? It's like, some people will say, how do we get more dollars to Black people? Give it to them. Because it's not like there's not an abundance of ideas that are being generated by all people everywhere. And it's that conversation around, um, you know, genius is equally distributed, but opportunity to show that genius is not, I think it's a different quote, but it's, it's that same thing, right? Like my idea, I think, is probably about worth you know, billions, you know, I can give you a number, we don't have to get in the market and all that. But in order for me to get it there, I need X number of dollars, let's call it billion. I know that $10 million checks get cut for lesser ideas. I also know that there are companies that were called unicorns because their valuation was a billion dollars. But then at the beginning of this year, at the end of last, Crunchbase was telling us all that those valuations were fake and now everybody's lost their money. And that's the reason that all these companies are folding and firing and, and laying people off. You know what I mean? So like, if it's all risk and we say that venture capital is speculation, 
then speculate for me as well. But if I'm not getting the money for a very specific reason, and that reason being because I'm black and I'm a part of this group that only gets less than 2%, then now I'm frustrated again. But at least I'm working for myself, right? If I wrap it back around to why I left corporate, but at least I can build my own company and fight for myself and others on my own terms without necessarily, you know, like biting my tongue and being concerned that I might um, make my bosses upset. But like I said, with the caveat, I have to pay attention to what I say even on podcasts because we still have bosses and those bosses are VC dollars because the dollar makes the globe turn. Yeah, I mean, all, all of that is correct. And, and just so that your listeners know, I'm Amber Gunst. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Fundlist. And I had the good blessing of being the former CEO of Austin Technology Council. So I've, I've spent a lot of time um, kind of sandwiched between the investor and the founder space running a nonprofit business association. And, and the idea for Fundlist came out of that frustration that I had talking to investors who, who were coming to me and saying, hey, we're, we're looking for really good founders and, and we want our portfolio companies our portfolio companies to not just have middle-aged white guys as the CEOs and the founders and, and looking around and going, okay, there, there are so many great female founders. There are so many amazing Latinx founders. There are so many great black founders there, you know, like there's great founders everywhere. But when you look at the overall of, of what the investors are stacked up against. One, they've got a fund, they've got to manage, they've got portfolio companies they're sitting on the boards for, or they're doing some type of advising for. They're in the process of trying to get current deal flow passed through so that they can actually get those investments in. Then they've got to look at, at the deal flow that's coming at them. And average VC has less than 20 employees and receives more than 6,000 emails a month and roughly half of those emails are going to be from companies that they never requested that deck. And so you've got all of that on top of, they've got to go, they've got to manage like the investors that invested in their fund. They've got to, so that they will invest in the next fund. Then they've got to go find new investors that will invest in the next fund. And then they've got to look at the, the last fund that they raised and they're trying to exit companies out of that so that they can share returns. And so, so when you look at it, I, I don't think the investors are so bad in that we don't want to fund black founders. And I'm not saying that across the board for every investor, because we know based on stuff that we we've seen um, in the news in social media on Reddit, there are, there are investors out there who will not invest in, in anyone other than a middle-aged white guy. And that middle-aged white guy better be wealthy. And he better have had at least three to four successful exits before they funded him. And, but the vast majority of investors, I truly believe want to reach out. It's just that bandwidth of how do we reach out and how do we get there and they can make the time it's just you have to give them a reason to make the time so you know i there there's a great article in the hill that came out last week where if there was just parity between white founders and black founders that would add 250 billion billion dollars not million 250 billion dollars to our economy if we just created parity for 
black female founders that would add 4 million jobs and about an in just shy of 950 billion dollars in revenue to our economy and so it's looking at that and going we've got to get that out there right because the investors want to show good return on investment in their fund so that they can go raise the next fund and they can raise the next fund after that and so it's it's getting their attention and it's getting them to look at this and really look at and understand the opportunity that comes with creating equity and parity in what that investment looks like but then the hard part comes from yeah they may understand it and they may want to see it but this system of, in, of capital investment it was set up eons ago like way back in the mesopotamia trader market times like this this goes way way far back so much further than anybody else and, and it basically came from we have a wealthy person who invests in a wealthy person who invests in a wealthy person and that's the reality of it and most people who are who are going after entrepreneurship especially when you're a person of color especially if you're a black person when you're going out for entrepreneurship the first time you're probably coming from nothing i i'm the first actual entrepreneur in my immediate family and and you know, I was the first person in my immediate family to go to college. So, so you look at this and go, most first-time entrepreneurs, they might be the first entrepreneur in their family. And so how do you create those relationships within wealthy communities of saying, I didn't go to that club. I didn't go to that school. I'm not part of that alma mater. I wasn't in that fraternity or that sorority. I might have a community college degree, and then I went and got my four-year degree from a smaller regional university instead of one of the really big universities. And so that makes it even harder. So you look at it and go, how, how do I meet people when I don't know they exist? And how do they meet me when they don't know I exist? And more importantly, I don't, I don't, if I don't know they exist, how do I find out? you know, Donald, you may know somebody that wants to invest in my company. I may know somebody who wants to invest in your company, but if we don't know each other and we don't know each other exists, that, that can't happen. It just can't. And I think that's probably the biggest barrier that we've got to look at right now is how do we get people, especially coming off from this time where it's like, oh, we can do everything on Zoom now and everybody's relying on LinkedIn. It's like, yeah, that's great. But those relationships that you make when you sit down and you have coffee with somebody, you, you develop a stronger, deeper, more rich relationship than, than if you do this. And if somebody's just putting on big parties, well, you might go to that big party, but you're going to talk to the two or three people you already know, and they might introduce you to that investor that you've, you know, one or two investors that you need to meet, but you're not actually really building relationships with those folks there. And you're not gaining their attention enough to be able to do that. And so then you get stuck with, I'm going to go to these pitch competitions. I'm going to send out thousands of decks to people and I'm going to do all of these things. And then you find out that really you're just one of the 3000 pitch decks that they're looking at a month that they at each month that they didn't ask for. And the amount of time that they're probably looking at them is less than less than 60 seconds. I mean, this is when we think about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and I'm going to say equality, uh, because as I listen to Donald and you, Amber, I see a, a huge overlap 
when we just think about just opportunity, right? And removing those barriers to get access to those opportunities, right? So if I'm a founder who has a history, right? You know, my community, you know, my zip code, my ethnicity, you know, whatever category you want to leverage, if we have a history of not getting resources, of not getting opportunities, well, give it to us, right? Give us those opportunities, give us those, um, those resources so that we can truly innovate, right? You know, Amber, you mentioned all the job growth. You mentioned the billions of dollars in revenue. Well, like that's a direct result of having investment, right? Having either time, right? Having um, people, right? Having resources, right? Whichever type of, of, of revenue you know, we're discussing, all of that generates support and allows people to be successful to then build from there, right? I mean, that's why we work in partnerships, right? Because when you, when you leverage a partner, you're able to, to build on their resources to go and have a deeper impact in our community, and, and, and that's the, the benefit that I see, right? You know, as we invest, if we were able to invest on a consistent basis, right, um, um, in Black organizations, uh, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, um, the community will be better, um, more problems will be solved, because those that have had these lived experiences, that have had these ideas, that, as Donald mentioned, can now go and be successful, right? Because we're coming from a different experience of a completely different background with the, the way to solve the problem within the system, right? And, and that's why a lot of Black-led organizations, Black-led entrepreneurs really do go out and start their own because wherever they are currently has a barrier, right? It's a barrier to, to get the, the impact that they're looking for. So they venture on their own. And then when they venture on their own, now there's like, okay, I got rid of one barrier, but now to do the things I want to do, now I have to engage with the government. Right now, now I have to engage with society, right? So how do I how do I get now you know, equity, right? So so first is give me the resources I have a chance. Once I have a chance, great. Now let me have the same chance as everybody else. So if you know everybody is getting $10 million checks, well, I want my $10 million check too, right? And then let, let's have an even playing field and say, like, like, let's give everybody the same team, right? And not, not when I mean same team is like give them a team, right? a team that allows them to go to the next level and truly see who's able to generate the best impact. Um, because once we do that, then overall collectively, we'll have a better impact, right? We'll be able to innovate and solve problems. And, and it's truly nothing but the upside. Um, but we live in a society that doesn't see it that way, right? It's it's either I have or you have, right? And, and there was, um, I forgot what article it was, but they're just talking about the amount of, of um, capital that was poured in to the black community during um, um, the year that George Floyd was murdered, right? You know, looking at that year, compressing in 2022, 45% dip in capital investment, right? So, so these were individuals that, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not, you know, because there's, there's a lot of different people who, who supported that, right? Uh, but it wasn't sustainable, right? It wasn't consistent, right? It, it wasn't looked at as a long-term solution. It was more so like, oh, this is something that's hot right now, or this is something that, make, that makes us look good. Um, you know, let's check this off, right? Like, let's leverage this opportunity, but, but let's not really be connected to what the ultimate goal is, right? And the ultimate goal is, you know, we want to diversify. So we so make sure everybody has these opportunities. So it's not just one type of anything. Let's include any, everybody into the conversation. Let's give everybody what resources they need to be successful. 
and let's make sure that's happening to everybody, right? So not just Black-led um, male entrepreneurs, but Black-led female entrepreneurs, right? I mean, not just Black people, right? Hispanic people, right? You know, Asians, right? Like, let's make sure everybody, right? Let's make sure that 25% of businesses are white, you know, 25% are Hispanic, you know, 25% are Asian, right? 25% is Black, right? Whatever the breakdown is, let's make sure it's everybody, right? Because now, now it really wouldn't matter where the revenue is coming from or where the funding's coming from, because we we, will, we wouldn't be looked at as um, as like one against another, right? We'll be working towards our goal, whatever our individual goals is, because we know that it's the same across the board. So I, I don't really matter, if, you know, if Amber's you know is um is is doing well because we want Amber to do well. Because remember, Amber does well, then Donald does well, and Donald does well, Michael does well, right? And we're able to to build from there. Yeah, and I mean, if so, going back to resources, I. I, you know, during the pandemic, I was the CEO for Austin Technology Council, and and I talked with a lot of the banks, and I sat on a lot of committees within the city. And Michael, I think you sat on one of them with me with the city of Austin, and the specific conversation was around the lack of PPP loans that went to Black-owned businesses. And I had a really direct um, I made it kind of painful because I felt like an answer needed to be had conversation with one of the leaders of one of the banks here in town, not one of the big national banks, but they were a big regional bank. And I said, where did you guys fall down? Because you fell down and you, you, you completely left out a community that probably needed this more than, you know, most of the companies that you got loans for. And I'll give it to this bank leader and we're still friends to this day because he, he took it. He took it right on the chin. We didn't do this in a public way. We did it privately, a conversation. But he said, we, we had to go in and look at where we fell down because it, it all happened so quickly, even for the bankers. But where they spent most of their time and most of their education on what is this PPP loan and what is it going to mean for our clients and which of our clients do we need to reach out to and which ones are not going to qualify, it all ended up in the private wealth investment banking side of the house. So if you are a big company, your banker had information and knew what was going on and was probably talking to you and having conversation. If you didn't have a big company, but you had education around the importance of talking to the private wealth investment banking side of the house instead of the business banking side of the house and the branch, then you were still protected and you still had access. Now, where you find most Black business owners, their accounts are, well, at least according to the study that, that the regional bank leader that I spoke to, he said when they looked at their Black-owned business clients, more than 98% of them were doing business at the branch level, even though they had the amount of money that they needed in their accounts to qualify for the private wealth management side. Mm. So the fact that nobody's sitting down and educating because, and, and they said that what they realized is, is that the, the business bankers in the branch, they don't want to give up that they, they get, they get bonused on those big accounts. They, they're not going to say, Hey, leave, leave my side, leave, leave what I'm managing and go over to this private side. So they're looking and it's 
the banks were doing anything bad for these folks. They're, they still have that, but there's less leverage on getting the loans that they need to get and getting the, getting the interest rates on the loans that they need to get because they're not properly banked. And so when the PPP loan came out and everything came out so quickly, if you guys remember, it was like Congress said it was going to happen. And then a week and a half later, it happened. So that's how quickly that went through. And so the SBA was writing the rules up until an hour before the PPP loan site went live and people could apply for it. And so is it the responsibility of the banks in the moment in an emergency situation like that to go out and, and make sure they've got all of their I's dotted and their T's crossed in an emergency situation? Yes and no. Is it the responsibility of the banks prior to situations like that happening out and educating all of their clients across the board and saying, here's how to leverage this. And then when you look at it, it, it goes much deeper than just a PPP loan because every, every investor that I've been introduced to, I've been introduced to through the private wealth management side of the banks, through the tech banks, through all of this other stuff. That's how I'm meeting these folks. That's how I'm getting those relationships. But it's because I know to do that. If I did not have the job that I'd had for five years, I would not know to do that. I, I wouldn't know these people. I would have never met them. They would be, they would be enigmas to me. I would think, oh, I'm just going to go into, I'm going to go into Chase Bank and I'm going to open a business account, not realizing that what I really want to do is go talk to the folks at JP Morgan on the private investment side, or that what I really want to do is an early stage startup is I want to go set up an account with Silicon Valley Bank because they're going to do whatever they can to make sure I get funding because that benefits them both ends. So it doesn't matter how much money I have, it matters how much investment I can get in. So, so there's an education component that goes in here that, that in truth, the only reason I know anything about it is because I had the job that I had. Nobody sat me down when I said, I want to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to start this company and say, hey, Amber, here's all these things that you need to know in order to be successful in raising capital. I had a lot of people want to help me with it, but that's because they've known me for five years and I've done a lot of favors for a lot of people in this town, but it's also looking at it and going, so, so if myself as the only thing that makes me a minority is my gender, I'm, I'm cisgender, Caucasian, Dutch, German, Midwestern, heterosexual female, the only, and I'm and Judeo-Christian, the only thing that makes me a minority is my gender. And, and I'm not minimizing that at all because boy, does my gender make me a minority at times. But if, if I'm not getting that information, I can promise you, gentlemen, you're not getting that information. And, and you both come from a background where you could get access to that, that information. But if if you're just coming out of college and you're a black girl and you want to go start, you want to go start your first or a black woman to go start your first company, you don't have that information. You don't know that. Yeah, actually, you're dropping gems right now. Thank you. Um, so I have <laughs> a thousand different things to say. But the first thing I want to say is, Michael, your hair looks great. And I want to know, <laughs> I want to know if you've been getting it braided or if you're going to rock the fro 
all, all the time. What's what's popping? Tell me. But so, a quick answer because this this is a tangent, yeah, yeah. but I don't want to go just, too far down. I'm gonna say right now, I'm I'm just letting it do its thing. Uh, my yeah. wife does do want me to lock it, uh, but I'm not yeah. gonna lock it right now. Uh, I'm enjoying the growth, so no, stay okay. tuned for more. It looks okay. Amazing. Got it. Got it. Got it. It is looking good. Um. Okay. Okay. Education. Okay. Quick shout out to um. DW Snapshot, Snapshot Consulting, where we focus on mentorship, coaching, and inclusive networking. But I'm going to start with the inclusive networking part and as it pertains to education. So um, you, you made a lot of excellent points. Um, you are absolutely correct that it's the system that has to change not necessarily the people. And I think that's where conversations sometimes become um, heated, right? Because there's a system where a group of people have answers and, there's, and then there's a group of people who don't have the answers. And that system happens to be uh, historically gendered and racial, but that doesn't mean that that gendered race group is being malicious. They are in a system set up as it is. So to your point about the business banking conversation. So I have three Chase business banking accounts. Um, and, you know, I, and we opened another Chase business banking account for our startup. We do have an SVB account, but we learned about SVB because of our accelerator, not because somebody knew. And actually, I would even say this, and this is a really um, important thing, I think, just the concept of venture capital alone is new for a majority of the people. I have 20 years of information management experience. I network all the time. <clears throat> I'm at everybody's bar was, I stopped drinking. I was in, you know, probably over 20 years, I've been in a hundred different offices. I've seen all types of work, but not until I became founder specifically of Piggyback Network, where we raised money and then went to a VC-backed accelerator, and then were introduced into the network of VC people. Did I even know that this group of people existed? You know, like we never overlapped with, you know, quote unquote them. Um, and so you're absolutely right. If people don't have the education, how could you know to even ask the questions? And so for us now as, as founders, you know, so we're like, we're like, we think we're hot shit, right? Because um, founders do that. And, and anyway, I have a outsized um, self aggrandizement, which is okay, right? It's a thing. I'm able to say that out loud and, you know, everybody loves it. Um, we still don't know anything. Like I just learned that we should be on the private banking side. You know what I mean? Of all the things that I've learned, I just learned that just now. Well, so I've got to make sure that people listen. You also have to qualify to be on the private banking side, yeah. right? So, you know, and I, I, I know a few years ago, that number was 2 million. Mm. That you have to have 2 million in order to be on that side. Right. But how do you get to that 2 million and how do you, and, and how do you develop those relationships? Well, you can still build relationships with those private bankers and not be banked on that side. Just let them know that that's what you want to get to. And right. they're going to help you get there because they want new clients. Right, right. And because right. of the fact that we're late to the game, Donald, right? Because of oppression, right? Because of, of um, all of the different barriers, right? You know, we got to work together. 
right? So you know, we got to come collectively in order to open up those gateways, right? To open up those opportunities, right. all right? The more we have, the more masses, the more revenue, et cetera, et cetera, the more, you know, restrictions and barriers start to move away, right? You know, no, wealth, yeah. wealth is, the, is, the mo- is the number one defining barrier to a lot of resources, mm. right? You know, and, and actually I'll say this too, and, and I'll uh, get myself in trouble uh, with one of the communities, but I'm, I'm noticing that as we talk about, or, okay, so here, here's what I'm going to say. As we talk about lack of access to capital for Black founders, the, the response is, let's have more Black VCs, which is fine. But if those Black VCs don't have access to the same volume of capital as the non-Black VCs, then we're still trapped in this little bucket of the 2%, right? Like, <laughs> are we looking, I've, I've not really heard anyone say, Black founders have received you know, less than 2% over the last X number of years we are going to increase that number to 7% in the next three years. I've not seen anybody say that or heard anybody say that at all. But what I have seen is a lot of new Black VCs pop up, but they're not doing the same type of numbers that somebody like Sequoia and AZ-16 are doing. You know what I mean? So, so thank you to all of the Black VCs and I appreciate the work that you're doing. But you know, please make sure that you're not standing on one side of a line where all the wealth is still on the other side of the line. Not, and not just the wealth, but the wealth, the connections, the networking, the information, and ultimately the resources that actually lead to equity and equitable access to that, you know, giant pot in that. It goes back to separate but equal, right? I mean, and, and that's what we're perpetuating right there. It's saying, all right, well, there's a problem. So, like, you know, let's tie some Black people, right, to go and solve this, this Black problem. But we're not going to give the Black people that we've hired or that we've appointed to solve this problem the same resources. So, therefore, they truly can't solve the problem anyway, right? But we made it, we, we give this facade, right? We paint this picture as if we're doing good work. Right, just like we did when, when George Floyd was murdered, right? Oh, let, let's fund a whole bunch of black organizations, you know, you know, those that, that are women and are male, yeah, let's do it. Right. And then uh, with less than a year later, significant dip, right? You know, like you know, we've we we know the facts, you know, black-led you know, founders have received less than two percent. So why not stop for a full two years? Do not fund any other businesses but those that are black. Why? Because for years. We've only funded those that are predominantly white and male. So let's shift that. Let's let's just change the numbers, right? Like like literally. So whatever the percentages were for for black, for for female, for Asian, for Hispanic, for however long, let's just literally flip the numbers to the same exact thing in reverse. So whoever was least will be greatest, and that you know, is how we solve the problem. <laughs> you so, know, this goes back to that um, I and D conversation. So I said I actually made the statement you just made uh, to my HR when they said that we haven't hired any black people. And I was like, cool, then why? So, and this is basically, this is what I said. I said, if we can have a class of no black people, why can't we have a class of only black people? And the response was, well, that's racist. 
And and so then I was like, yo, I can't, I can't get with y'all then because. <laughs> and that goes into to like how do I say this? Um, using the same words, right, but meaning different things, right? And that goes in within the system. So those individuals don't see the bias that the system has created to allow the outcome to be majority of a one, right? Whatever that one is, right? And in this situation, the, the majority of the one is a white male, right? Like that is what the system produces. So if we want to reverse that and go to the complete opposite, oh, no, 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 we can't do that, right? And that's why um, Governor Abbott's chief of staff did a, uh, he sent a memo that the Texas Tribune picked up that said that diversity, equity, inclusion is against employment laws. And that you cannot use those in hiring practices. You can only use the fact that someone's merit is the only thing that should be used to hire them. It's like, but, but the system doesn't even use merit. The system is all about discrimination for you to hire somebody, right? What is their education level? Well, education was only access to some opportunity of individuals for X amount of years. So automatically you're excluding a group of people who didn't have access to education. So that's no longer merit, right? Like that's discrimination. So like just the words and what we say and how we think about it, even within the system, as, as people are living in it, don't even see their biases and how they're just perpetuating and going along with the flow. Yeah, and that was nice of you to say it was Governor Adam or Abbott's chief of staff, but we all know where that really came from. Um, it, you know, but, but it's looking at all of this. So, so here's some numbers that are, that, that, you know, when I share this with people, they, they get bug-eyed. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're white, if you're black, if you're AAPI, Latinx, if you're a man or you're a woman, they just get bug-eyed. So in 2021, Austin had, Austin alone brought in $4.6 billion in capital investment. And that's the biggest year yet. Um, we're still dwarfed by the two coasts um, that were both running about north of 200 billion per city. Um, but of that 4.6 billion, 4.3 billion went to companies that had white males on their founding team. Meaning only $300 million went to companies that were founded by women, people of like, like AAPI, Black, Latinx, the indigenous population of our country. So, so actual true Native Americans, like people that their tribes were here long before any of us came over. They got nothing. And if you look at the numbers there, like it doesn't even register an investment into what they do. So, so this is a really, really big problem. And, and it affects every other than, and, and here's the thing of that 4.3 billion, the vast majority of it went to companies where they were repeat entrepreneurs. They had already amassed wealth. They already had successful exits. So it's not something where even middle-aged white guys aren't getting, you know, it's just a problem across the board. But what we find is that when we start solving problems for women, black people, for Latinx, for AAPI, when we start acknowledging that indigenous people are entrepreneurs as well, that helps everybody. 
that helps everybody. And we know because it's just like proven time and time and time again, that when you invest in black women, they invest in everything. They invest in their communities. They invest in communities that aren't their communities. Like if you give a, a black man an investment, she is going to stretch that investment so far and so wide and lift so many people up that it's like, just let's invest in only black women for a year and see how great this country can turn into in six months time. And so, you know, so it's looking at this and going, if the focus is let's create parity, let's create equity for all founders, then then the white guys who are struggling to get capital as well, they have an easier time getting capital because they also don't have the networks and they don't have this. So, so it's looking at it and saying, listen, if we're going to focus on let's solve problems for this group, now all of a sudden we're solving problems for everybody. Because if we figured out how to crack that one nut, we figured all of this others, you know, we figured out how to crack more nuts. And you bring up the black VCs. Well, are, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, with Carrie Rupp and Sarah Brand with True Wealth Venture Partners here in Austin, and they are globally the first venture capital firm that focused solely on investing in female founders and female-led companies. And they got, I think they launched their first fund in 2016 or 2017. They were the first globally that did that. And when they would go out and tell people, we are the very first globally, people would look at them and say, no, there has to be somebody else. There has to be somebody different. We'll do a quick Google search. Their first fund, I think they raised just over 20 million. And they've had really, really successful um, first fund. They oversubscribed in their second fund, but it's so much less than what other people, than what other VCs are raising because it's who do they know in their network? And these are women who Sarah, you know, Carrie went to Harvard business school. Like she knows a lot of really good people. Like they've got really strong pedigrees into their acumen around investment, what they've been doing, and they're still struggling to raise those capital funds. So it does come down to the family offices, high net worth individuals who go and do that. This is again, where you go back to those investment bankers and you go back to those private wealth management banks. Because again, you've got a lot of power that's happening in those, in those places and in those spaces. And, and they're in sense helping manage their, their company's money. It's going to Goldman Sachs. It's going to, you know, the big investment banks and to the big hedge fund people and all of these people that control wealth and have them get a better understanding of who you are and how that benefits you. Because the managing partners and the general partners of the black VCs, they can't, they can't do this on their own. It's, it's impossible for people to say, I'm going to do this on my own, you know, um, if you've got two really well-established, high-pedigreed people like Carrie and Sarah who have to work their tails off to raise $20 million with the network of people that they know, 
it's hard. It's not easy. And it's not easy as well for the current people that are running the venture capital funds. I ran into one gentleman who he's had a fund for several years here in Austin. It's been successful. And, and here's where investing in black founders makes sense. He's now struggling with the family offices that he's been able to go and, and raise capital from in the past because he doesn't have a diversified enough portfolio. And so he wants he wants to get on fund list and, and join our platform because he's like, I might need some more, you know, some more diversified people. In fact, he he'd had, and I'm not gonna say his name or his fund, but he had had one, one of the family offices that was like, if even if you had a white woman as a founder in your portfolio, we'd be okay with that because at least we'd see that you're you're trying to like do something else. And, you know, and it's looking at it, but then when you look at the doors and they get opened by even the woman. So, so Linda Janak is a really good friend of mine. She's the CEO and founder of Talent Guard here in Austin. She was the first woman founded business that Live Oak Venture ever invested in. And, and I know Krishna and Venu, they're really great guys, but they fell into the same trap that so many people do, which is I got an introduction in an, an introduction, an introduction. And, you know, when you've got a small team and I think they only have six people over there. So definitely below that 20 threshold and they still get all those emails every month. And Linda was their first female founder that they invested in. They have now broadened their portfolio beyond just investing in white women. But if you looked at their portfolio, Linda was the first female face. Almost every face in their portfolio for a founder position was a white male because they came out of Austin Ventures and Austin Ventures only knew white male founders. And so this is where that historical aspect, and again, I know Krishna and Venu really well. They are wonderful human beings. It was not an intentional, we're refusing to invest in. It was, we're investing in people that we already know, because that's that's the least barrier that we have to do with a small team and a small staff, and we've got to deploy this capital. And so we're just going to try to make it easier. And I don't know about you guys, but every single day of my life, all of the stuff that I've got to get done every single day, I think, what is the path of least resistance and how can I get this one thing done a little bit faster and a little bit easier? You know what? You make a really good point. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to change how I think about something. And so here's, here's the thing I had said earlier that, um, and I've said this before that VC is speculative, but in reality, it's not. If you are investing in people, you know, you've limited your exposure to risk, even if the idea itself was risky. <clears throat> what I represent as an outsider, just, just casually being an outsider, I represent the risk of we don't know you and all of these ideas are risky. So why would I even waste my time speaking to somebody I don't know? And, and that makes sense. Now, and... <laughs> not apologizing for the 2%. I'm not being an apologist. However, the, the other thing that you said is that capitalism started with wealthy people investing in wealthy people, which makes sense because the other thing that we've seen is the narrative that after you've shown success as an entrepreneur once, it's way easier to raise money. 
And we took that as successful people raise money, but actually wealthy people raise money. You know what I mean? And, and like, I think if, um, I think if we thought about that differently, that wealthy people raise money and there's a wealth gap that has a racial and gender component to it, then it makes sense that there's also a fundraising gap, right? Um, so this has been, I'm, I'm, thank you. For, actually, we didn't say thank I didn't say thank you, I don't think. Maybe I did say thank you, <clears throat> but I want to make sure I recorded it and say thank you. Thank you for joining the podcast. Because um, I'd seen your post on LinkedIn and I was like, hey, we should chat. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, I saw that, um, and then I saw that you were connected to Michael on LinkedIn. But I was like, "Hey, Michael, do you actually know this person?" And he was like, "Yeah, I actually know her." Um, so thank you for like randomly allowing me to invite you, and then coming before I—I I don't know if y'all talked in the background, but before like it was a casual like yes because I know this dude already. Um, you know, thank you for just being open to having a discussion based off of a random note on LinkedIn. You see, and, but and I that's say, how it should be with VCs, yeah. right? It should be just like right. that, right? It's like, right. hey, you know me, I know OB, right? You know that person? Yeah, for sure. What they need, I got them, right? It should be, right. see, you know, we need more VCs like Amber, you see? Yeah. Well, uh, I wish I was a VC. I wish right. I was investing. I, I, <laughs> I'm not, I need investment from VCs, but it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's always a pleasure to have conversations like this because, you know, I, we, we, talked beforehand about, you know, me being Dutch and German and Midwestern and, and my Dutch grandmother who, who passed away in early January, she had this, this attitude of, you know, if, you know, if, if something's important to you, you say it. And, and, you know, for me, I, I understand that I'm privileged. I understand that I have good fortune in life. Doesn't mean that I grew up rich doesn't mean that, you know, my parents weren't working two or three jobs when we were growing up. It doesn't mean that there haven't been times in my life where I haven't worked multiple jobs in order to get by. But it's, it's a privilege of having had opportunities through work to get to know people, to have conversations that, that important positioned people were willing to sit down and have conversations with me and explain things to me and, and answer the questions that I was asking. And what I hope everybody who's listening to this takes away from this is one, the investors are not bad people. There, there are a couple of bad investors out there. They'll never be on fund list. Um, so if, if you decide you want to join fund list, you're not going to find them there. Um, but most of the investors are good people and they're coming from a good place and they want to do the right thing. They're just, they're, they're so heads down. They're so bogged with everything that they have to do. Um, they're, I, I will say this about every VC that I've reached out to in Austin to say, Hey, I've got some questions. I need some advice. I need some help. Every single one of them have said yes. And so these are very busy managing partners. They say, yes, they want to help. They want to do the right thing. They're genuinely good people where, where it's important for those of us who are not wealthy people is that we have to be brave enough to stand up and ask the question. We have to be brave enough to say, I would like five minutes of your time. I would like to connect with you. If you're going to send somebody a LinkedIn connection, because Michael, you're right, it should be that easy. Send them the connection request, 
add that note and say, you know, I, I heard about you on this podcast or I read your, your quote in this particular thing. I look forward to connecting with you because that means something to them. It's not just some random, I'm trying to connect with you to, so that you'll maybe look at my profile and look at my company. So it, it's hard. It gets defeating. I know I'm going through it right now. Um, it's still important to ask for that mentorship. It's important to ask those questions. Even if you think, hey, this, I, this particular VC might not invest in me at this point, or you know, I might not be a fit for what they're doing. If somebody is willing to give you five minutes of their time or 20 minutes of their time, make use of it, ask for help, ask for introductions and, and go and get on the mailing list of every single investment bank in this town for their events. South by Southwest is coming up. They, they want those parties filled. They want entrepreneurs there. Go get on their list, go get on their invites, go attend their webinars, attend all of this stuff. You're going to learn so much you're going to gain access to so many good people and, and really access is the number one thing we've got to overcome because once and, you've got access, you can get education. And that goes back to just social capital, right? I mean, we know historically um, they have put resources in locations that were very difficult for people to access, right? To remove it. I mean, even right now, a lot of resources aren't online. Right. So you have to have the privilege to be able to have a car to go somewhere during the workday, Monday through Friday. Right. And be able to take the time to go do what needs to be done like that in and of itself is a is a privilege. Right. Um, and we know that just your, your location you know, dictates what those privileges look like. Right. So everything you're mentioning, Amber, even you, Donald, about you know, being exposed to the industry, it goes back to who, you know. Right. You know, if you are around wealthy people. Right, then you're going to increase the chances of getting um, funded, right? You know, getting revenue, getting opportunity because you're around wealthy people. Um, and just being in the tech space, you know, showed me that, right? You know, you know, one thing that Oracle showed me is there are so many opportunities out there, and all you have to do is choose the right door, right? And if you choose the right door, oh my goodness, like you have now just transitioned to a whole new lifestyle, right? Something that you've never even thought about because you were stuck behind the door. Right. Um, and we realized that just you know, being exposed to technology, being exposed to VC, you know, even just like being in places that have more of those opportunities. Um, so, yes, you know, definitely go outside your comfort zone. Right. Definitely go to those places that have those resources, have those people, have those things that you that you need so you can understand how to um, how to navigate the system. Right. So that we can have more than two percent of black led founders receiving revenue right, receiving funding. Yeah. And hey, you know what? Hopefully one of these days when we see that 4.6 or more coming in for capital investment, it's divided up into equal, equal opportunities for everybody. Oh, and one last, one last plug, just because there are a lot of founders out there. We talked a lot about education. Um, it's not for my company. It is for a book that is the Bible for every entrepreneur out there. You gentlemen may have read it as well. It's um, called Venture Deals. And so read it, reread it, read it again, get an extra copy. You can put notes and it is basically two guys who run VCs that, that tell you everything you need to know, because when you go in and, and let's say you're that, you're that lucky founder who, who somebody sends you a term sheet, you better have a lawyer in place 
You better have your own terms set up. You better have your banking relationships set up. And, you know, you, you better be ready to go through that process because just because they send you a term sheet doesn't mean you're getting a check. And the term sheet is getting asked to the prom. You still have to go get the outfit. You still have to figure out how to do the dance moves. You still have to figure out, you know, the boutonniere thing and, and all the other stuff. Like just because you got asked doesn't mean you make it. So, so be prepared for it. Definitely read venture deals. It is the Bible for every entrepreneur out there. And I know entrepreneurs who've successfully raised multiple times that still read that every single time they're getting ready to go out to raise around. Thank you for that. Um, but be right before we close out, uh, you mentioned this is a pitch for the book, but not your company. If you could though, tell us, you know, 90 second pitch, if you do the 90 second pitch, um, about Fundlist? Yeah, so Fundlist is a web platform and a community for investors and founders. And it is a, it, it's a platform that we created where we ask founders to put in what, whatever they're sending in an email to investors. We're asking investors to put in whatever they, whatever criteria they need in order to have a conversation with an entrepreneur. And we do a we have a matching algorithm that matches these up for it. We're still in beta. So the, the product is completely free at this point. So anybody that wants to go in there and play around with it and, and give us feedback on, you know, how our baby's cute and how our baby's ugly, we appreciate it. And the goal is, is to help reduce the amount of time that entrepreneurs and investors are having to do that search function and also help improve fit. And we, we believe based on, on the models that we've run that we're going to be able to help create, help remove some of that gap between minority founders, including women, gaining access to venture capital. Because what will happen is the investors will only see deals that match with what they say their criteria is. So, you know, Donald, with your company, if somebody says, hey, I, I invest in, in transportation options, you're going to show up and then they're going to choose whether they want to continue to have a conversation with you. So it becomes less about how do you get an introduction to that person and more of a, are they on there and are they making that connection? So, so that's what we've built. We're, we're building out a lot of systems. And when I say we're building a community, we actually have champion founders in there who they, these, these are people who've been exited multiple times from companies, either as founders or, or executives that come out and help people when they've got problems with their deck or problems with their presentation. And, and, that's at no cost for folks to be able to take access to that mentorship. So, so really trying to revolutionize the way we are and, and what we're doing. And because we're fully independent and we're not tied to an accelerator, an incubator, or to an investment bank, we don't have to play by anybody's rules. We're creating our own. And on that note, we thank you for listening and ask that you click that like button and subscribe to Culture Crawl ATX wherever you listen to your podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and heard something you can take back to your friends and family. Please follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. And remember, you can always find the latest episodes on culturecrawlatx.com.